the writer of Hebrews has been telling us, or is writing to a people that have potential cracks in their foundation. And we've been kind of studying that. That's this foundation of faith potentially is cracked. And, and how, how do they remain resolved? Uh, as you're remaining standing, I'm going to recap last week's message on the screen for us, just so that if you're a guest, you're kind of catching up. And if you're a guest, hey, go to the website. We've got everything we've, we've gone through in Hebrews on it. We'd love for you to catch up. And if you were here, just a reminder of everything that last week was because it ties in so formidably to this week. The whole message was, hey, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. If you'll remember that. Um, keep your eyes fixed on Him, the Savior, if your foundation is cracked. He's infinitely more superior to Moses And then he walks through all these things that we walk through. Jesus is the one who makes us holy. Jesus completes our heavenly calling. Jesus is the point of all consideration in the ordinary means of grace. We went through 15 ordinary means of grace where Jesus is the point of all of them. Uh, Jesus is the perfect apostle. Jesus is the perfect high priest. Jesus is the builder of the church. Uh, Jesus is not a servant like Moses, but he's the son. He's infinitely superior. So... Because of these things, don't attempt to find your your joy anywhere else. There's no other source of confidence. There's no other source of boasting. There's no other source of hope, which is verse 6, where we ended. All of that. There's none of that. Um, Jesus is not just an example of faithfulness. He is our faithfulness. That's the point. So consider Him. That was the the whole text. And And the verse ends with last week. And... We're His house if, capital I-F, to which we hit the pause button, if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting of hope. Which is why those who didn't go to the beach returned this week to figure out what that if is all about. So with that said, again, the consistent linear point of all of it, even the book as a whole, is persevere. Persevere in Christ. So today, we will have a collision of perseverance and preservation. All right? It's going to be fun for y'all, not me. I'm going to take a nap afterwards. Um, But let's pray that God will be gracious to show us how He is the one that we persevere through, and He's the one that preserves us simultaneously. Let's pray again. Well, Jesus... Lofty text today, a lot going on, and maybe, maybe the best way to just pray through this is, will you make our hearts through this text as pliable as Alyssa's? Will this text bring us to the point of childlike faith? that acknowledges our sinfulness, but also acknowledges your greatness and your majesty. So, Jesus, make yourself famous in hearts today. God, I pray for believers in this room that they will be um, encouraged by a text that has been used so many times to be discouraging. And if there is an unbeliever in this room, And Lord, in a room this size, there there probably is. 
that today would be the day that they see Jesus as the magnificent one who is able to both preserve us and is worth us persevering in. Jesus, we love you, and it's for your name that we gather. Amen. 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 Well, as you're being seated, I'm going to ask you to remain standing. Uh, just in honor of God's Word. There's many ways that we could do this. There's, there's many ways we could try to tackle this text. Um, and, and there are varied people in this room of various levels of Bible study. And we've got to acknowledge that, okay? So this is why we're going to do it this way. <clears throat> there's various de- denominational indoctrination that different people have walked through. So I think the best way for us to do this is to do three things. Number one, let's read the text that we're going to be through in its entirety. Let's read through that. Number two, let's get an overview of what I mean by these words perseverance and preservation and how they sit biblically as a whole. And then number three, let's see if those things line up with the text that we read in the beginning. Does that make sense? So let's read through it, let's look at it as a whole, and then let's see if those things line up with the text. All right? The text will be on the screen above. I'm going to read through all of it. <clears throat> Therefore... In other words, because I said, not me, because the writer said, because the writer has just said, if we hold fast our confidence, because he, because he just gave that condition, because I just said, if you do this, conditional, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Psalm 95 is what's going to be quoted today. If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He's now he's repeating it again. He said, don't miss this. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, For good news came to us just as them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Hope you're you're keying in on some of these things. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, 
And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Man, that is a lofty phrase. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Be seated. It's a lot. Books have been written on this, and we're going to attempt to conquer it or tackle it in the next 25 minutes. One of those things are a lie. Um, We've read the text now, and I think it's good to just kind of give an overview of of what are we even talking about? What are we talking about preservation and perseverance? What, What do those words even mean? Preservation being that God preserves His people. Maybe some people have heard the phrase, once saved, always saved, or eternal security of the believer, or these type things. That's what we're talking about when we say the word preservation, that the Lord keeps His own. Perseverance. The fact that true believers indeed persevere, do things, work, labor. And by work, I don't mean work unto salvation. I mean... We work out our salvation. It, it, it fleshes itself out. It results in something. Okay. Now, here's the deal. Let's look at preservation first. I think that's what we got on the screen. No, perseverance. Okay, let's do perseverance first. Okay. So, perseverance. Being this, that genuine belief is evidenced by continuing in the faith. Seems to be what this writer keeps screaming. Don't harden your heart. Press in. Do this. Work it out. Okay, so this perseverance of the saints. Now let me give some misconceptions. Misconception of perseverance of the saints. Some would say this. Okay, if saints have to persevere to the end, then that could ultimately leave somebody who's a believer walking in fear and shame. Because their life doesn't seem to be doing anything. So there's this misconception of shame. And I would just say that's not biblical. That's, that's not biblical at all. Um, or misconception too. If someone says, look, true saints will persevere, then someone would argue, well, doesn't that mean that perseverance leaves salvation ultimately up to the work of someone to be doing the thing that earns them salvation? I'm saying, well, that, that's not biblical either. That's, that's not true. That's a false misconception of the word perseverance. So the person who, who screams out, listen, true saints must persevere to the end, a lot of times what they'll hear from people in rebuke is, well, you're belittling the work of Christ. That's not true. If that's in your heart, that's not true. 
in no way does persevering belittle the work of Christ at all. Now let's look at preservation, not on the screen, but just continuing through these misconceptions. One who says, no, 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 Christ is the one solely who will preserve us to the end. It has nothing to do with us, not what we do or what we don't do, but what Christ does. Someone who who proclaims, listen, Christ preserves us, the misconception will be, well, doesn't that just lead to a life of licentiousness? Just kind of do whatever you want to do? If He's preserving us, you can just do whatever you want to do. That doesn't seem to be, that's, that's not biblical. That's not what somebody is saying by preservation. In other words, somebody might say, well, if once saved, always saved is true, then why do we even need the sanctification process, would be the argument. That's false. That's, that's a false misconception of what preservation is saying. Another misconception of preservation will be, okay, if the believer is eternally secure, then what got him there? Was it his prayer? Was it his baptism? Was it whatever that God now must respond to what he did and keep him forever? That's a misconception as well. So I'm just trying to unpack a lot of these misconceptions. So now, with that said, let's try to bring clarity to these. Perseverance clarity first. What does the Bible say about true saints will persevere? If the Bible says nothing, then we can just kind of walk away from it. But since the Bible says quite a bit, we need to look at it. Okay? Here we go. The Scripture is clear that genuine belief will be evidenced by continuing in the faith or persevering. Where does that come from? I've given you ten verses. I think eleven, actually. Um, I added one in on both of them, just because ten didn't satisfy. We could have given you a hundred verses if we wanted to, but we only have time for these. Let's look. Does the Bible say that genuine belief will be evidenced by continuation of faith? Yes, I think so. Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. What is the will of the Father? It's going to be stated later. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we do all these things? Cast out demons? Didn't we, didn't we go to church? Didn't we go to the D now? Didn't I sign the, the pledge? Didn't I whatever? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here there's this work that's not coupled with belief. It's just work. Okay. And so Matthew 10 goes on to say this. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I think think it's safe to say endures is the same as persevere, right? John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, um, who had believed him, um, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now we've got the conditional if again. 1 Corinthians 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What was the word he preached to them? He said, I came preaching nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. If you hold to this, is the point. 
2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. It's a persevering. So what you're doing right now by examining your own heart is what he's talking about. Are you believing? Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out uh, that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may do no wrong. uh, Not that we may appear to have met the test. But that you may do what is right. Though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth. But only for the truth. Colossians 1. He has now reconciled in his body by a flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. I hope it's pinging. A lot of these, even in persevering, is not what you're doing or not doing, but what you are believing and who you're believing in. Okay? Second Timothy 2. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also... Sometimes it's good for you guys to read it instead of me. He will what? He'll deny us. There's a condition there. Hebrews 3.14. For we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's what we just read. Second Peter 1. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fail. For in this way... There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 2. The context is false teachers or believing false teachers. False teachers promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he's enslaved. For if, after they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and, Jesus, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... If they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Persevere. And then finally, 1 John two nineteen, They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. What's the point in all that? The point is this. It is possible to hear of Christ, to experience Christ, without embracing Christ as Lord. Entirely possible. It's kind of like an apple. If I had an apple up here, which I don't, but if I had one... I could hold the apple. I could say to you guys, this is an apple. I could uh, talk about where the apple comes from. I could say, here's the tree the apple comes from. But until I take that apple and embrace it, believe it, trust in it for my only source of nutrients, I have not truly received the apple. It's entirely possible to hear of Christ, to know Christ... 
to have seen Christ, but not embrace Him as Savior and Lord. This is what persevering gets at. This is why James clearly says, what about the demons? The demons, they believe. They know Jesus. As a matter of fact, James says, they tremble at the thought of Jesus. Yet what is a demon not willing to do? Submit to Him as Lord and Savior. That's the difference. That's incredibly encouraging if you'll hear it in that way. However, if there's someone in this room going, man, you know what? I don't ever think about Jesus until Sundays. I don't, I don't consider Jesus. I don't, I don't count it joy to gather with the saints. I don't, I don't care to align my life with anything He says. I, I've heard of Him. My, my papa talked about Him. If that's you, then the Spirit is wrestling with you. Believe. Believe. Everybody wants Jesus as Savior, but not everybody wants Jesus as Lord. There's a difference. So the point here is screaming at us. Listen, it is possible to hear, and, and, but still not believe. And those who persevere in believing in the end will be saved. Now, preservation clarity. We've done persevering. So the Bible seems to say this conditional if. Now let's look at, but does God, is He the one that if I am continuing, I guess the question should be, let me rewind all that and say it another way. Forget everything I just said the last 10 seconds. Rewind it. The question is, if I'm persevering, why am I persevering? It's because God is preserving me. Let's look at that. Preservation clarity. The Scripture is clear that genuine belief will be sustained not by us, but by the effectual work of the Spirit on our behalf. John chapter 6, 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, receives Him, should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Preservation. The one who is believing is the one who doesn't just look, but the one who believes, who receives. John 10 goes on to say this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Believers are as secure as the Father's grip. So secure we are. Implication of this passage, if you're a believer, you have the ability to jump out when your ability to jump is stronger than the Father's ability to grip. And brother and sister, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Believers are 
positionally righteous through preservation and also presently righteous through preservation. This is the hope of this passage. Romans 8, 29 through 30, the golden chain. Y'all can probably quote it, especially all those who have been catechized properly. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among the brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He glorified. He does it all. In this passage, where do you ever read, you did anything? Anywhere? I called myself, I elected myself, I predestined myself, I foreknew myself, I justified myself, I sanctified myself. And even if you're bold enough to say, yeah, I did all those things, did you glorify yourself? We didn't even got there yet. He does it all. He preserves His beloved. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, As such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by uh, the Spirit. Even our sanctification, according to this passage, is a work of the Lord. It's a work of the Lord through His grace. It initiates and sustains us. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A real change has occurred. If you're in Christ, the Father doesn't look down and see you as the old Troy Nicholson, insert your name. He sees you as the one washed through the blood of the Son. Ephesians 1. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So if you're a believer, not only are you secure as the Father's ability to grip you, you're also as secure as the Spirit's ability to seal you. Preservation. Philippians 1, and I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is why we scream often and always, it's not you. You didn't pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just decide, okay, today's the day I'm going to get it right. If you're a believer, Christ began that salvation work in you, and according to this passage, He will bring it to completion, preservation. Hebrews 7. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost, to the, to the deep recesses. He's not able just to save the surface level, but to the deep stuff, okay? Save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Believer, here's how secure you are. That the Son sits by the Father and pleads your case. How encouraging is that? That when your sin rises up before the throne that you know you're guilty of, the Son says, "Mm mm-mm. He, she is pure through my blood. I cover this one. That's how secure you are. Hebrews 12 is going to tell us this a little bit later. Not today. You can breathe easy. Not today. 
But let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of our faith and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ not only authors our faith, but he perfects it. And then finally, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy. Read this with me. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Believers, rest easy through the power and work of Christ on your behalf. So with that said, the point... The point of preservation clarity in the Bible is this. God never aborts what He births, but rather He nurtures it, disciplines it, loves it, and sustains it. That's the preservation power of Jesus Christ on your behalf. So, Troy, you just spent all of your time reading other passages of Scripture. I did. I did. Because I think it's important I think if you don't have that holistic view, then I don't think you can understand Hebrews chapter 3. And you definitely won't understand Hebrews chapter 6. Those are who, like many of you guys, when you heard we were going through Hebrews, like you looked at when Hebrews 6 was going to be, and like we are vacationing that week. We're not coming that week, okay? What glorious news for those of us who are trying to comprehend this book. So, which of these verses are we to believe? Are we, are we supposed to believe the perseverance verses? Are we supposed to believe the preservation verses? And here's what I would say. Yes. Yes. That's what we're to believe. Which ones, Troy? All of them. Every single one of them. In a beautiful, cohesive unity as one, simultaneously. Here's what I'm trying to say. If you are in this room and you're a part of the family of God, in Christ Jesus, these things will be on the screen. If you are part of the family of God, you are persevering in faith because of the Spirit's dwelling within you. You're persevering. You find yourself repenting, believing, confessing. You you, you are indeed working out your salvation. You, You feel this. You're testing yourself. And you're doing that because the Spirit is in you. It's the, the flesh would never lead you to confess. The flesh would never lead you to repent. It just wouldn't. But the Spirit of the living God... So here's the deal. When you find yourself in need of confession and repentance, it's His kindness, as the author of Romans says. It's His kindness doing that. It's the evidence of the Spirit. And I, I, me and... and I, I'm not going to say who... Um, me and somebody very close to me, um, who is one of my offspring and goes to Mississippi State. Um, we, but I refuse to say it's not. We have gospel conversations quite literally almost every day. We have text threads upon text threads. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's just fun. It's really fun. And, 
you know, one of his things often that, that I have to remind him of is he's like, yeah, but dad, I did, you know, this, and I feel terrible for this. And I'm like, buddy, that terrible guilt is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's not, oh, woe is me, I feel guilty. That is a good thing. That is the kindness of the Spirit saying, I love you enough to show you these things because I'm in you. Believer, if you, if you feel confession, that's the Spirit's work in you. And it's a sign of His sealing of your soul to make you perfect until the end. Praise the Lord. And if you're in this room and a part of family of God, you are preserved simultaneously in faith because of God's power to keep you in that faith. He preserves you. He's doing it. And finally, I would add one more P. You're perfect in faith because of God's uh, work through Christ Jesus, that is the work of grace on your behalf. So why would you look anywhere else, which is the point of the book of Hebrews? Why would you go back to Moses? Why would you go to angels? Why would you do all these works? It's Christ and Christ alone. Focus on Christ. And so Wayne Grudem, um, who is one of my favorite theologians, says this. Wayne Grudem says, All those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And only those who persevere to the end have truly been born again. Once again, a beautiful unity of perseverance and preservation. Both. Yes. Maybe for those who are like, Troy, I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) That was a whole lot. Um, I'll say two things. Number one, Johnny's going to re-preach this message in his own words next week, so be here for that. He'll clear it up for us. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I could give an illustration maybe this way. Here's what I'm trying to say. If I, Troy... If I bail on Christ, if there comes a point where I walk out and go, I'm out. I don't, I don't believe this anymore. I don't, I don't believe that Christ's work is sufficient. Um, and many have done this recently. Joshua Harris has done this recently. He, he wrote the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. You, some of you guys read that as growing up. He, he said, now abandon the faith. Rob Bell, completely abandoned the faith at this point. Um, one of the leaders of many songs you've sang, Hill Songs, Marty Sampson. Marty Sampson has abandoned the faith and said, I'm out. I don't, I don't believe these things anymore. If I bail on Christ in that way, you have every right to say Troy Nicholson was a fraud and a shyster and never truly believed. You have every right to say that. You have every right to say he's an apostate. He bailed. He never genuinely believed. However, if in the end I go to sleep boasting in my flaws and boasting in my weakness and saying, I don't measure up, I have never measured up, and I'm only counting on the sufficient work of Christ on my behalf, then you can mark me as one of those who is now resting among the heavenly saints, clinging to Jesus, who is going, well done, 
for believing that I was sufficient when you couldn't be sufficient. Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Preservation. Perseverance. And that's your story too. If you're in this room, that's your story. There is no other story because that's the Bible story. Pendulum Wright says this, Well, I really like preservation. So we're just going to ignore all those passages of persevering. If that's you, you're unbiblical. Pendulum left swings over and says, No, 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 I really like all those passages of persevering. I'm just going to ignore the work of preservation. You're unbiblical. Come back to the center. And Pendulum Center embraces God's Word as true and right and perfect. So therefore, preservation and perseverance is exactly where God intends for us to rest through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We go to sleep like a hyper-Calvinist who believes we ain't got nothing to do about nothing. And we work like an Arminian loving Jesus with everything we've got. Does this line up with Hebrews chapter 3? I think so. Let's look at the text once again and we'll wrap it up. Let's reread this considering perseverance and preservation and all the scriptures that hopefully this makes some sense. Therefore, that therefore again, if we hold fast, because I told you, if you hold fast, because I said that, as the Holy Spirit says, Psalm 95, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, persevere. Don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Well, contextually, this is a great passage. It is, a, it is an odd place for the Lord to get angry, but He did. The Israelites had seen deliverance. They had been set free from Pharaoh. They go out into the land, and, and, and then all of a sudden they get thirsty. And in their getting thirsty, which seems pretty innocent, gets incredibly offensive to the Lord. Exodus chapter 17 says this, that because they were thirsty, they began quarreling with Moses about water, testing the Lord. They quit believing the Lord because they got thirsty. That's the rebellion that's being talked about here. Don't do this, the writer of Hebrews says. And when trials come our way, it does one of two things. It either stirs up our faith or it stirs up our unbelief. Did y'all catch that? When trials come our way, it does one of the two things. When trials come our way, it either stirs up the fact that we go, I'm resolutely set on Christ. I don't care. I don't care my situation. I'm in. And it stirs up faith. Or when trials come our way, it stirs up unbelief of trials have come my way. I don't like this. I'll just do my own thing. Moses, go hit that rock and get us some water. We're thirsty. We don't believe that Christ loves us enough to care for us. 
So it stirs up unbelief. And he says, don't let it... In your trials, don't let your trials stir up unbelief in you. And ultimately, this leads to hardening the heart. Hardening the heart is just blaming the Lord for the reasons for you to abandon your faith. Lord, I don't like this, therefore you must not exist. And those three people that I just named to you, that's squarely where they are in their apostasy. I don't like what the Lord has to say, therefore I am no longer a Christian. I cannot believe that. And it stirs up unbelief. I'll just go back to Egypt. I'm I'm thirsty. I'll go back. At least under Pharaoh, I wasn't thirsty. Persevere. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, the Lord says. They always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And so in their hardships, they tried to usurp their human authority over God's sovereignty. I can figure this out. I don't need God. Right? And so this is what provokes him. And this, this wasn't a laughing matter, guys. <laughs> this infuriated the Lord so much so that if you'll remember, they head over into the land. For 40 years, they're provoked. And not a single one of that generation actually made it into the promised land except for two people, Joshua and Caleb, the only two that got to go into the promised land. That's how bad this ticked the Lord off. So take care, brothers, lest there be any any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Persevere even against your sin. For we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What is our confidence? Our confidence is that Christ alone preserves us. If you hold fast the confidence of the preserving power of Jesus and Jesus alone, that is how you persevere in the end. So don't get hung up on, the way that I persevere is to prove that I'm a good little holy boy. That I'm a good little holy girl. That I do the right things, I say the right things, I dress the right way, I do the da-da-da. And that becomes worse. Don't hold on to that. Hold on to your confidence that Christ alone, not what you do or what you don't do, but what Christ has done. Hold on to that. That's our original confidence. And in doing so, you'll have confidence firm to the end. Paul did this. Remember Paul? Thorn in his flesh. Actually, the Bible says, was a messenger of Satan. Messenger of Satan sent to torment him. Whatever that was, the ailment. Tormenting. Paul says, Lord, take it away. I am tired of this. The moment, the collision of, will he persevere in his preservation? The Lord says, I'm not going to take it away. No. I will not remove this hardship. At that moment, Paul either leans in or he leans back. He either leans back and goes, okay, well, if you're not going to remove it, I'll just go worship Pharaoh. Or he leans in and goes, even through the hardship, let's go, Lord, because your grace is what? It's sufficient. It's sufficient. I'm holding fast that your grace is sufficient. I'm preserved through you. It was an anchor that kept him humble. We just keep going. As it said today, if you, harden his, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with those whom he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not resist, but to those who were disobedient? So see, so we see that they're unable to enter because of the bad works that they did. Is that what it says? Because of their unbelief. That's the key. That's the linchpin. That's what preserves us. And with that, we see preservation. It's the upside-down funnel of faith. If I had a funnel, the typical way for it to be held would be something like this. And the misunderstanding that can lead us away is, I've got to do all of these works to prove that my faith is true in the end. That's not what persevering means. True faith is a flipped upside down funnel. (laughs) Because I'm trusting in the preserving, confident work of Christ, it will ultimately lead out into a life that looks more and more like Christ on a daily basis. I'm preserved, therefore I persevere. Not, I persevere in order to find preservation. That's the gospel. That's where so many churches flip that sucker completely upside down and bring condemnation on the church people. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, rest through faith in Christ alone. That's been the point of all the book of Hebrews. It still stands if you believe in Jesus. Consider Christ. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it for good news. The good news of the promised substitution of Christ came to us just as them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by works. Not united by what? Faith. With those who listened. For we who have believed, preservation, enter that rest. As he said, quote Psalm 95 again, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day, spoke of it in Genesis chapter 2, in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage he said, Thou shalt not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appointed a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today. <laughs> If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. If you're in this room, within the sound of my voice, forget my voice. My voice is irrelevant. If you're in this room hearing the Word of God, today, when is today? Like right now, today. If you hear this call to trust in the preservation, preserving work of Christ. Don't harden your heart. Believe. Just like Alyssa. Call on Him today. For Joshua had given them, if he had given them rest, which he couldn't do, God would not have spoken on another day Later on, so then there remains a Sabbath rest, this rest of faith in Christ, for the people of God. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested, preserved. If you've entered truly, entered genuinely in the rest, then you rest from His works as God also did from His. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. How do we strive? By not trying to save ourselves, but by faith in the sufficiency and efficiency of the work of Christ so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And as I wrap it up, this is a segue for next week. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Outward works can never reveal the intentions of the heart. As a matter of fact, that's where Jesus hammered the Pharisees. Y'all do a whole lot of stuff. But you don't believe in me. You don't trust me. And the word of God, as read aloud, pierces. This morning's been odd in a cool way. It's one of those moments in our church that it's almost like you can hear a pin drop. Anybody else notice that this morning? It's just one of the passages. No jokes. No fun stories. Just the Word of God. And it's been dividing hearts all around the room. As we examine. And as the sword of the Scriptures fillet our hearts open to many in this room, by God's grace, because I've seen you and I've known you, it's filleted your heart open and you've been like, yeah, the only hope I got is Jesus. And the scripture has revealed, yeah, yep, yep. All I'm doing is trusting in Jesus. Praise the Lord. And then there's some that it's filleted open. And you've realized you've, you've rested in a work you've done or not done to try to earn it. And the gospel sitting there going, hey, 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 let me be the salve that saves your soul. Christ and Christ alone. It's living, it's active, it's sharper, it's dividing. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we give an account. And we'll give an account by again not walking up and going, Jesus, here's all the good things I did for you to earn my salvation. That person, he'll say, depart from me. I I never knew you. But the one who walks up and goes, "I I don't have anything to bring except the sin that made my salvation necessary. That one, he'll say, welcome home. You need me. And I love you. That's the scandal of the gospel, church. That is the scandal of the gospel. Conclusion. I suspect the rest of our eternity will not be rest in the sense of idleness. I don't, I don't think that's what that passage means. Just come enter my rest, take a vacation. I don't think heaven is going to be us skiing on crystal seas and rollerblading on gold ground and, you know, sink, you know it's not all those things. It's, it's just, it, 
If you would like, um, I can print you out our systematic theology that we went through heaven and hell, kind of talking through that. I don't think we just take a vacation. I think we will be freed from the bondage of sin to live out our lives in new ways to where like layers of an onion, we peel back the excellencies of Christ, free from the bondage of sin in ways we've never seen before. For all of eternity, because that's how magnificent He is. He'll never grow stale to us, but more and more exalted as we sing, as we work, as we free from the bondage of sin. With that said, what does that look like today? I'm going to quote Miss Hannah Livingston, who wrote our devotional guide for the book of Hebrews in this chapter. If you're going along with the devotional guide, it was so good this week. This is what she writes. What does this look like today? Well, we rest through trusting God's promises rather than doubting His goodness. We rest through meditating on Scripture rather than dwelling on our problems. We rest through allowing God to lead our decisions, words, actions, rather than controlling our lives ourselves. When we persevere in faith, we will enter His rest. His rest brings His peace that passes all understanding, gives us confidence in the hope of eternity with Him in heaven forever, and allows us to rely on His strength during our battles rather than our own weak efforts. And the best part about this rest, it's freely given. Persevere. Preservation. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, what a text. God, you know which pendulum I'm so prone to jump on, which side of this that I'm so prone to ride, either to the right or left. God, I pray today that we'll see the holistic nature of the gospel, that the gospel will just be bigger, the cross will grow bigger. It'll just get bigger and bigger today. We'll walk out today seeing the gospel bigger than we've ever seen it before. That it is strong enough and secure enough to preserve us to the end. And it is worthy enough to respond in giving our lives away daily to exalt you in everything we say and do. do something we rarely do around here is you just remain in a posture of prayer if you're a believer I'll ask you to pray for the unbelievers in this room right now and if you're an unbeliever I want you to listen clear the work of Christ is sufficient to cover all your sin past, present, and future It's also sufficient to keep you secure in the hand of the Father. If you've never placed your faith in the fullness of the work of Christ, I'm going to ask you to look at me. Just look right at me. Just stare right in my eyeballs. Just look. If that is you, just look right up here. If that is you, repent. Believe. Trust. It's that simple. 
Confess your sin. Confess that Christ is sufficient to cover that sin. And commit to Him today, not only as your Savior, but as your Lord. Not in works, but in substitution. That He'll take His bank account of righteousness and put it in your bank account that is unrighteous. Trust, believe that today. And if you do that today, today is the day of salvation. Let somebody know. Let us know. Hey, I'm in. I'm in. And we want to walk through what discipleship, baptism, life looks like. We want to walk alongside you. Would you stand and would you respond?